0: in worship today. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Goodness God, I will sing the goodness of God.
1: Thank you for joining us this morning via video, and we look forward to being with you next week back in the fusion space or on the live stream or by video later in the week. So once again, thank you for joining us. As we turn our hearts to prayer, let us begin by reading Psalm 15. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Psalm 15 and follow along. Again, Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, Who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises the vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without interest and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. It is through the work of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit envelops us and indwells us and works to transform us by your grace into the image of our elder brother, Jesus Christ. We are thankful that in Christ we are part of a new and alternative community, a community that is called to bear one another's burdens, a community that weeps with those who weeps and rejoices with those who rejoices. And even as a community, we navigate these difficult times together, times that, well, are somewhat uncertain, times that are perplexing, times that often make us wonder what in the world is going on. But as we navigate these times, we navigate them together, encouraging each other and building each other up. But even as we navigate these times we know that there are those in our community who bear burdens that are just hard we pray for those in our community who struggle with mental illness who may be struggling with depression or loneliness or anxiety brought on or perhaps even increased by the dynamics taking place socially and culturally we pray that we may walk alongside them that we may be a listening ear that we may be supportive That we may be encouraging we pray for those who have recently lost loved ones loved ones who have transitioned from this life into the life to come we pray that your peace would overshadow them but at the same time we pray that we might walk alongside with them that we might listen to them that we might grieve with them and that we might support them during this time and we pray for those even in our own community who are struggling with with illness Illnesses, some that we may be aware of, some that we may not be. But we pray that we might always have an empathetic ear, a desire to pray for those, that your spirit would bring healing. And if that healing is not physical, that that healing might be spiritual. And that in the healing that it brings, that we might be strengthened together in our community and our faith in you. And so, Lord, as we continue to walk through these times, as we walk through the uncertainty of them, even seen today in the presence of having to worship my video. We pray that your spirit would overshadow us, would give us peace, would give us comfort, that your hope would indwell us, that our confidence is in you and the Lord, and to that we bear witness and testify to those around us. We do not despair. And so, Lord, as we listen to the rumblings and the troubles throughout the world, we do not despair. As we listen to people speak words of anger and seasoned with bitterness to each other, we do not despair. Because this is your world. Help us to live as a light. Help us to testify to your grace and to your redeeming love. Help us to point people to the richness of the gospel. And may we do this always not in our own strength, but in the strength that you give us through the power of your spirit and by your grace. And now, Lord, bless us, encourage us through the preaching of your word. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
2: Well, greetings, Fusion. We're continuing today in our sermon series, uh, Surprise, You Belong. It's a series of encounters where Jesus meets people who feel like they're on the outside and he invites them in. Others are in the inside and Jesus reminds them why they belong. So much for us to learn. Now, you will notice something as you read through this text, follow me, that where the New International Version uses the word servant, and you'll hear me say that as, we, as I read, I've put the Greek word doulos there as a reminder that that Greek word translates better as the NIV does it to servant in our experience rather than to slave as in some of the other older translations. um, Because of our... American experience, it's better to use the word servant rather than connect it to the experience of slavery here. Now, there's some sermon resources on the blog site that go deeper into that. If that's new for you, I'm always happy to talk about those kind of things. But let us set our hearts to hear the word of God in Luke chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, "'Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you.' But you just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. I tell that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and he turned to the crowd following him, and he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house, and they found the servant well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that as Jesus interacted with this centurion through his friends, as he interacted with the Jewish elders. Uh, This has been faithfully recorded and written down by Luke, transmitted across centuries now for us to read and hear. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you who superintended all of this across the centuries will now be present to take even my brokenness and make your word clear. Illumine our hearts and minds that we might receive all that you have for us in this text. For we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, one of the spiritual practices that is a part of my life, particularly as I study and prepare for a sermon, is the practice of Lectio Divina, where I kind of pray through, meditate like you would have heard last week from the uh, MP4 that I sent out of Tim Keller get myself into the, the mix of that particular text, place myself there to see and to hear and to smell all the things going on I want to kind of walk you through uh, the flow of the action in this text as in the same way that I've done with that Lectio Divino, kind of let your mind picture as you hear me speak. First of all it begins with Jesus finished by saying all this. In the chapter before, Jesus had been teaching the people many of the words that Matthew records in the Sermon of the Mount. We need to remember, Jesus would have given this stump speech, this key sermon about the kingdom of God, in many times and places. Matthew records it on the Mount. Luke records it just before this event we read about today. Jesus has been teaching. Now he enters into the lives with people and becomes God the actor. The event is set up like this. There is a centurion, a Roman um, military person with a a brigade, say, of a hundred soldiers. This centurion, who lives in the town of Capernaum, sends Jewish elders to Jesus with a request— Now, it's interesting. This town, Capernaum, would have been a fishing village of about 1,500 people on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, small by our standards. It was part of a mostly Gentile region, though there was a significant Jewish community. It was a garrison town. That's what the centurion and his soldiers were doing there. There was a Roman military post, it was an administrative center for all that went on in that particular region it was a custom station where the romans would tax things coming in and out during the 3 years of jesus ministry this became kind of his second home a home base for his earthly ministry and here we see a roman making a request of jesus through the jewish elders the the the, the village chieftains the people who had the power and influence and responsibility and made the decisions it's fascinating. He makes a request. This would have violated all sorts of religious conformity and um, cleanliness, all these sorts of things. He sends these Jew- Jewish elders to Jesus asking, Will you come to me? Will you cross the bridge? And will you heal my due loss? It's interesting. The centurion invites the Jewish Jesus to cross the bridge. The religious divide, and they say, do that because he deserves it. Jesus, I suspect, with his eyes, sees this centurion as an image bearer of God, someone who's seeking him. And he sees something too. The centurion values his doulos, his servant. They may be different on the social spectrum, but this centurion has a compassion for this person who's very different from him. Well, the Jewish elders make this request. He deserves it. He loves our nation, and he built our synagogue. You see, he did something that made our life better. He moved our agenda forward. He showed his goodness by meeting our need. Now, the centurion indeed was kind to the locals, and that's a good thing. Even the Romans could sometimes have an empathy for the people they governed, but he was still a Gentile. Nothing about his faith or his morality or his heritage or character. No, these elders said, "He scratched our back. Won't you come scratch his? He deserves it. He deserves it because he's helped us. Well, for whatever reason, I want you to see the different motives in the elders and Jesus, I suspect. Jesus does head off to the centurion's home. He'll recognize the ethnic differences and all the religious implications. We read about those in the gospels. We know how divided um, these two groups were, but he goes, he's not put off by them. Well, as Jesus is on his way to the centurion's home, suddenly he's interrupted in the journey. The centurion sends his friends, and in open disagreement with the Jewish elders, he says, I don't deserve you to come. I am not worthy. That's why I sent them. You see, the centurion recognized something in Jesus himself that was different than what he was as a person. I don't deserve it. Well, haven't you been kind to the people? Haven't you helped them build their synagogue? Well, yeah, but that doesn't count. I am not worthy. I don't deserve it. And look here at the response of Jesus. He affirms the centurion's faith. Why, I've never seen faith like this even among God's people, Israel. But this is what faith looks like and just to cap it off the friends of the centurion return and the servant the loss, is healed now i want to tell you friends the tension in this text the thing that should grasp our attention is the jewish elders say he deserves it the centurion says i don't deserve it and jesus says the centurion is right that's what faith looks like See, this is a story about asking Jesus for something. The Jewish elders ask, the centurion asks, they ask differently, and Jesus responds differently. The elder says, he deserves to have you do this. It's as if they use that idea of deserving to put Jesus in the debt. You must do this. We're entitled to see this happen He did good, you need to do good. The centurion has a completely different perspective. I do not deserve to have you come. But the centurion recognizes something in Jesus. You have authority. Not because I deserve, but because you have authority, Jesus, heal my due loss. Do you see the difference there? That's where I want to dig in in this. This is what needs to grip our heart and see, because I think deep in the heart of this is an important teaching about the life of prayer. You know, last week when we had to cancel service, as I um, said in an email I sent out to you, I was kind of despondent until I picked up an MP4. It was the next in line and some Personal study I typically do, and it was Tim Keller preaching about meditative prayer, meditating on the scripture to let it shape your heart and life. I remember that, and now as I bring the sermon that I would have brought last Sunday to you now, I want you to see how this same text applies for us to our life of prayer. It's about asking Jesus for something, and we see here two different ways. One, They say he deserves. The other says, oh, I don't deserve, but you have authority. So I want to focus on the idea of prayer here. Prayer based on deserving. Think and reflect. Navigate the pathways of your own heart and consider, friend. What's the motivation for your life of prayer? Many of us, I fear may be at a state where we pray out of a sense of deserving. And so I want to dig into that. We're more like the Jewish elders. I want to tell you, if you think of prayer as based on deserving, then if you're making the grade, if you're deserving, you will pray in one way. If you're not making the grade, you'll pray in another. Let me walk you through the journey to a mature and fruitful gospel-centered prayer life as we look at this particular text. Now, the first thing I want to do is, well, let's be honest. As I've reflected on my life and as I've discipled people, to see them grow to a mature life of prayer, let's be honest. Most of us don't pray because we don't think prayer actually makes The important difference. Now, we're all polite enough we would never say that. Prayer in the United States, and particularly among church people, is always respected but rarely practiced. Think of the politician who, in the face of a tragedy, says, oh, our thoughts and prayers are with you. I'm always wanting to ask, oh, when do you pray? Where do you pray for them? Do you really pray? But I can't throw any stones. How often are we a people who respect prayer but don't practice it? Scotty Smith speaks of a time that he was a pastor of a growing church. I can relate to that. Think of a time that you were religious and successful, if you will. I was preaching sermons on prayer. But where I sweat and put my effort was in preparing the sermon. I was busy training Sunday school teachers and organizing church picnics and all the things that solo pastors end up doing. But I would only get to prayer as a last sort of thing. The first step for growing a prayer life is repenting of our prayerlessness as the sin of unbelief that really is at its root. But we can say, no, prayer and communion with God is important. We take a step— And we enter a prayer life that's really based on deserving. The second point or the second step of this journey of prayer is often prayer based on deserving. Like the Jewish elders, good religious people, highly acclaimed in their community, serving and responsible. Friends, if we are praying only out of a sense of, well, I've made the grade so I can ask God, our prayers will be weak because we can never deserve enough. Oh, we may think we've made the grade, but in light of what the centurion shows us, we'll be praying out of pride. The other painful, debilitating thing that happens, if we think prayer is based on deserving, I have earned this so I can ask, then when we're not making the grade, when we're not deserving, boy, that just totally crushes the motivation to pray. If I think God only listens to the righteous and I've got to go be righteous and I'm not really righteous in my heart, why would God listen to me? If you have a hard time praying, if you have a hard time finding motivation, could it be that deep in your heart you have a sense that only the deserving are able to pray to this God and I know I'm not deserving. Friends, I want to tell you, the centurion gives us an extraordinary hope and invites us to a next step in the journey to a mature prayer life. He speaks of a prayer based on grace. He begins with the, I don't deserve. But then he goes on to show why he comes. I don't deserve, but you, Jesus, have authority to give. That's a gospel-centered heart. If you're trying to stand before God on what you deserve, if you're aware that you don't deserve and think that's how God listens, all of those things will hamstring your um, prayer life. They'll leave you weak and unmotivated. But when you realize you don't deserve. But He has authority, and He acts out of grace. First, you'll experience a whole new sense of your own life, that I'm loved by God's grace, not by what I do or what I deserve. And then that grace will give you a grace to love others. It makes an extraordinary difference. You know, the Bible and Jesus Himself— Challenge us to think about loving people. He says, forgive others as you have been forgiven. Forgive us our sin as we forgive those who've sinned against us. We just prayed that in this service. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. That's a high calling. How do you live that sort of life? Colossians 3.13 reads this way, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive if you have a grievance. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Friends, let me suggest that you test your own heart. If you struggle with forgiving someone who has wronged you, you just replay it again and again. It just seems more than you can do to forgive them. Consider if deep down this isn't a struggle in your heart because they don't deserve it. Your relationship of forgiveness is based on deserving or not deserving. Ask yourself, do I relate to this person, to this incident of pain? Do I relate to them on the basis of deserving? Because in my relationship with God, I think that is based on deserving as well. See, if I'm expecting other folks to behave with me out of deserving, then I need to go deeper and examine my own heart. Do I really think I relate to God on the basis of deserving? The gospel of God's grace leaves no room for the calculation of deserving. That's because the debt has been paid. The sin has been paid for and conquered. First in a relationship with God, Next, in our relationship with others, the gospel gives you resources of grace, not to wink at evil or not care, but instead to act in love without the poison of revenge or unforgiveness. Friends, gospel love does not call you to tolerate the dysfunction of an addict or an abuser. I want to make this real clear when I make this strong call to forgiveness. The gospel of God's grace may call you to intervene, to gather family and have an intervention if that's needed. Gospel forgiveness is not about enabling evil or destructive behaviors, but it is about realizing that God has loved us not because we deserve it. And His grace empowers us to love others even when they don't deserve it. Not to enable the repetitive sin, but to intervene with the power of his love. You see, if we're stuck on they don't deserve it, we ought to ask about our relationship with God at a deeper level. Do we think we deserve or not? Friends, I want to close with this statement. The centurion did not ask for what he thought he deserved. Jesus commends that. Instead, the centurion received by God's grace all that he wanted, all that he needed, and so much more. If you're living with God and with others in light of what's deserved, you'll live a pauper's life, shrunken, broken, isolated. But when you've entered in, to more than you could ever ask or imagine. Not what you deserve, but what God is giving. You can live in a whole different way. I want to close with a a picture. Some of us don't enter the throne room of prayer. We just don't bother because, well, I'm interested in this and God just does that that's about the religious stuff, the singing, the prayers, the catechisms. I think we should be feeding people. I think we should be standing for this and standing against that. Friends, if you think that way, you won't even enter into the throne of God. Others of us, we enter the throne room, but all the time in the back of our mind, we're calculating the balance of our credit with Him. Well, I've done this so I can ask that. I want to give you a different picture of how we enter into the throne room of the loving God. Dad, we, by the grace of the cross where Jesus gave his life for ours, we become adopted children of the great Creator King. And when we enter the throne room in prayer, we meet a loving Heavenly Father who is able Oh, Dad, my friend in Alexandria, you know, Pastor Raymond, he's got a friend, Jimmy, who's got stomach cancer that's metastasized to brain cancer. Dad, what can you do? I don't deserve to ask anything, but you have authority to do all things. For my friend, Pastor Raymond, and for his friend, Jimmy, I ask you, You see, it's different when we pray out of grace and live from that same power. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you've loved us deeply, more deeply than we ever deserve. And in that love, you've called us into your presence. And from the authority that is yours, you act in our lives Help us to receive what you are doing. Sometimes it will be what we want. Sometimes it's not. I've had those moments and so have you. Father, help us to receive by faith what you are giving by grace that you would build in us the likeness of Christ. And now I invite you right where you are. Pray with me this particular prayer, Heart of White Gospel Meditation. Because of what... Jesus did on the cross for me and for all humanity. I am not my own, but instead by the work of his grace, I am a deeply loved and fully adopted child of the great creator king. Jesus has loved me first and he's loved me as I am right here and right now. Not as I should be or could be. He's also given the Holy Spirit to work in me, transforming me day by day into his likeness. In that way, Jesus increasingly works through me as he brings about the restoration and reconciliation of all creation. Holy Spirit, help me to believe this and increasingly see the evidence of your work in my life, values, and actions this we pray in his marvelous and his mighty name. Amen.
0: Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect and it to all my my Savior and my God.
2: friends receive the blessing the benediction of our god i've taken this from ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21 and now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen and amen